This is Meet the Fam, a podcast series from The Way Church. Meet the Fam is created to be a place for you to find community by meeting the people who make up The Way. I'm Matt Rothy, pastor at The Way Church, and I am joined by my co-host Heidi Zell and our producer, not of it, a.k.a. Boomer, a.k.a. the John Boomhofer. I didn't get that long of an introduction. I'm a little offended. But anyway, thanks for coming back and listening, everyone. On this episode of Meet the Fam, we get to sit down with Julie Knapel. Julie, thank you so much for being here. You are welcome. Happy to be here. (laughs) Right on. Well, uh, as we start listening to you, we'll probably have people notice that your voice, your Mm. accent, does sound a little bit different than Mm, most of us around here. Where did you grow up? Uh, Well, before I tell you that, I'm just going to apologize to anyone I confuse because even though I've been in the States for 18 years, I still confuse someone on a weekly basis. Really? Mm -hmm. I think it's just the way I pronounce stuff. Is there a common word that you usually catch people on? It's so random. And I don't even realize that I'm confusing people until later on down the road and they'll think I meant something and then I'll clarify it somehow and they're like, oh, 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 like the grandma police dressed up as the grandma police. Everyone thought I was saying the grandma police. Yeah. (laughs) Things like that. Yeah. That's great. I was like, no. Just really specifically policing grandmas. (laughs) I am. I am. But yes, to answer your your question, I grew up in Australia, state of Queensland, which is the northern state, the city of Rockhampton. So it's kind of subtropical. It's sort of south of the Great Barrier Reef. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very right. cool. You said it, it's kind of a rural area. Mm-hmm. How many people grew up in that town? It was about 60,000, I guess. Okay. But when I say rural, it's literally the beef capital of oh, Australia. Really? Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's, huh? that's what's there. Cows. A lot of cows. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, when we sat down with you earlier, you told us a story about growing up, you and your sister made some promises to mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about those promises? Well, it wasn't just to each other. It was actually my mother that extracted the promise from us. And I actually have three sisters. So yeah, it was all four of us. She made us promise to never marry a foreigner and move overseas out of the country away from her. And given that we lived literally with cows. Yeah. I mean, in the middle of nowhere, we laughed. And yes, yes, we promised. Yeah, sure. We'll never do that. Yeah. Yeah. So you have three sisters. Are Mm -hmm. you all pretty close in age? Mm, yeah, about two years apart. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Do they all live in Australia still? Yes, they do. Oh, man. Yep, all of my family lived there. So you promised your mother you would never marry a foreigner. Mm-hmm. You were talking to us about uh, just growing up and there are other promises that you kind of made to yourself that you were like, this is, mm-hmm. this is I'm not doing this, mm-hmm. not doing this. And I, as a, I was thinking about this question today, and as I sort of look back and think about it, my decision to avoid Christianity was not something that I was just born with. It didn't, it was a gradual thing. We were not baptized as babies. Um, my parents believed that we all had the right to choose our own beliefs. So we were sent to Sunday school and I remember enjoying it. I loved sure. going. Yeah. We didn't actually go to the services because my parents didn't go to church. Okay. <laughs> and I suspect that it was maybe a great babysitting opportunity. I'm one of seven <laughs> kids, so anything to get <laughs> okay. us out of the house. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I love Sunday school. Um, and at the time in public school, religious studies was part of the curriculum. Interesting. Um, and that's where I started getting uncomfortable with religion um, because The classes that we went to, it was where we went was dictated by the denomination. Okay. 
that we were a part of, but I wasn't a part of a denomination. So yeah. where did I go? So I, I identified, I just said we were Church of England or Anglican, mm-hmm. Australian, mm-hmm. was that Episcopalian, I mm-hmm. guess, over here? Mm-hmm. So that's where I went. Yeah. Because it was the same church that I went to Sunday school. Yeah. So in your in your public school, they would teach you religious education based on each kid's denomination? Yes. Oh, interesting. And so if you were someone who was unchurched, mm-hmm. you like still had to take the class? Yep. So you just picked the one your friends I'm go sure, to? I'm or? sure the parents could have opted out. Sure. Um, I don't remember any of my friends opting out. You just, yeah, that's what you did. You just, yeah, you did it. And you said those classes kind of made you... It wasn't even so much the classes. I don't even remember. I mean, I remember Bible stories and stuff like that, but I don't really remember learning about the word, any of that stuff. I just remember feeling like I didn't belong. Okay. And then as I got older, that was when I was in elementary school or primary school, Mm -hmm. as we call it in Australia. Um, And then as I went into high school, became a teenager... Friends, you know, uh, family members, neighbors would invite my older brother specifically and I to go to their churches, you know, check it out. And my parents encouraged it. We were allowed to go. And I enjoyed it until I sort of hit, I don't know, I guess I was in my teen years, 14, 15. I started getting pressured to make a decision mm-hmm. to actually join said churches. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like, like after a few visits, it was the first time I walked in the door. And I still remember, I can't even remember the name of the church, but it was a big one in Rockhampton. Mm-hmm. And my brother and I went and they were all getting up and singing and it, carrying, it was kind of crazy. But they were all adults turned on us and started saying, go on, get up there, get up there, go get baptized, join the church, get up there on stage with oh, everyone wow. else. The first time we were there, mm-hmm. my brother got up there. He went up there and got baptized. Never went back to that church ever again. But just did it because that but was did it because getting they, pressured all to do the it. adults were, and you, I mean, you do what adults, you're supposed to respect them. Yeah. yeah. I was not that respectful, I guess. Because <laughs> <laughs> when people try and force me to do something, I do not want to do or do not feel comfortable doing. Yeah. I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good for you. Back off, bets back off. And yeah, I never went back there and After that, it was a firm, no, I do not want anything to do with you. How old again were you when that? I was still in school. So I was probably maybe 14, 15. And I knew right then and there. This wasn't going to be your thing. Nope. That's interesting. So your parents not practicing really any religion growing up, but were very much a part of presenting it as an option Mm -hmm. for you. You say, you said, they said everyone gets to choose kind of thing. Yeah. I've heard something recently that I thought was interesting. Just the idea that a lot of parents today have that kind Mm -hmm. of MO that I'm not going to choose my child's religion. Yeah. But the article laid out the thesis that no, that is a decision Mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a no decision that you're making for them because let's be honest, parents up until like, you know, middle teens, 18, they're the biggest influence in their kid's life. Mm-hmm. Would you would you agree with that, having experienced that? or? Yeah, I think so, because I think I, I picked up on their, you know, their willingness for me to educate myself mm-hmm. and make that decision. But I also picked up on their suspicion mm-hmm. of organized religion. They felt like it was a scam. Like they were trying to scam us out of money yeah. or whatever it was. They were threatened by religion. Yeah. Or maybe they felt less than. Okay. Or... Yeah, it just wasn't for them. 
So that was the house you grew up with. Then at 14, mm-hmm. 15, you have this experience that was really, really negative about visiting a church mm-hmm. for the very first time. What was your impressions really of just Christians after that? Um, I actually, you know, I hadn't thought about that particular day in a long time. And it actually makes me angry. That's to interesting. To this very day, just thinking about it makes me angry that that particular group of so-called Christians, you know, they cut me off from that whole, all that grace for so long. Yeah. And yeah, my brother too. I mean, and none of my family, none of my six siblings Mm -hmm. have ever gone to church. They're not actively involved. And yeah, it just makes me sad. Just because you know it could have been so much more positive. Yeah, they've missed out on so much. And I'm, I'm so thankful that, you know, eventually I made it. And it makes me sad that they haven't. Was that kind of the impression that most people gave around Christianity in your town or among the people that you knew? Uh, among the people that I I knew, I guess. But you tend to associate with people with like ideas, yeah. I guess, like values. I mean, one of my closest friends in college, she was dating a guy. Andrew, the nicest guy. They're married now, been married for 20 odd years. He came from a Christian family. She became involved with the church. I mean, very similar to Aaron and I eventually, but I felt threatened by that. And to my shame, I actually disassociated myself from her because I felt uncomfortable around that. Mm-hmm. That's how anti-religion I was. Yeah. yeah, how uncomfortable, threatened by it. Yeah. How does that perception, so you look at your friendship with Danielle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're on the other side of the fence. How does that kind of inform or change the way you think about your friendship or the way you really just kind of be a Christian in friendships with people who don't have that as a big part of their life? I just, I have so many regrets when I think back to how I hurt her back then. That said, when Aaron and I were engaged, I actually reached out and got back in touch with her. She was actually my maid of honor at our wedding. We reconnected. She's actually visited. She and her family have come over to the U.S. twice and visited, stayed with us. She definitely is, you know, they're very forgiving. She's understanding. You know, she's a Christian. So she was probably my, I mean, besides Aaron. She was probably my first real positive role model. Well, she and Andrew, the whole family. So yeah, it was a gradual slide down into realizing that Christians are not all Bible bashers. They're not quirky or weird or they're just good people. Mm. Yeah, you Give them a chance. Don't judge them because they're religious. There's more to them than that. So you're mentioning this Aaron, and mm-hmm. you're mentioning the fact that you promised not to marry a foreigner. You <laughs> promised yourself you wouldn't have a part of uh, really Christianity. So now you are married to a foreigner and a Christian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's anything I did. I was pretty sure that I wanted nothing to do with him. Absolutely nothing. In fact, I think he asked me out three or four times. It was a hard no. Yeah. You just leave man, me alone. He's a persistent man. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He Actually, I later found out that I guess one of my colleagues, because I worked at Hertz uh, Car Rental. Okay. And he was, Aaron was the comptroller, so he was paying the bills for the car rentals. Um, well, one of my colleagues and one of his colleagues were actually in cahoots trying to match make behind the scenes. And there was one day. I had stubbed my big toe and it was really hurting. So I was hobbling around at work. I wasn't wearing a shoe. Well, my colleague (laughs) told his colleague and the next thing I know, he rocks up at the airport with a get well card for my stubbed toe. (laughs) 
So after that, I mean, I'm like, how can you say no after that? I mean, I, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, all right, fine. All That's right, good. Fine. Yeah. And here we are. The rest is history. Just <laughs> 18 like that. years later, wow. here we are. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's so funny. And the second thing he did was change my oil. Okay. Yeah. After that, I'm like, yeah, he's cool. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Cool. He'll take Chivalry care of me. I trust dead. him. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So, but once you found out that he was a Christian and, I mean, you probably knew that he was a foreigner, if he was a Marine, then mm-hmm. how did that, how did that conversation go? Oh, I have distinct memories because I guess it was one of the times he asked me out that I gave him the hard no. It was in a nightclub. He was there. He's lurking there and he's trying to start up a conversation. And I just looked at him dead in the eye. I'm like, tell me you are not religious. Are you religious? And he just like. Yeah. Like, oh, no. No. And I walked away. Oh, man. <laughs> no. <laughs> but then the get well card came after this. Get yeah. well card. Okay. Was, okay. Yeah. So you really had some negative impressions mm-hmm. with Christians in the past. When did you start to like have your perceptions of Christianity and Christians change in your relationship with Aaron? It wasn't until after we were married. Oh, really? A couple months. Yeah. I guess I'd moved over here. We were uh, stationed in Monterey, California. And at the time, I think whether I think San Jose was the where the closest church was, which was a good hour, hour and a half drive from us. For the first couple of months, I didn't, you know, we didn't go to church. And Aaron didn't make a big deal about it. He didn't say anything. He just didn't go. But then the guilt started to set in. I knew he wanted to go, but I knew he wouldn't say anything. <laughs> so I'm like, fine, you should go. Let's go. So... I went grudgingly, hated it gradually over the years. I just kept going. It became a habit. I missed it if I didn't go and voila. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. What did you miss when you wouldn't go? You know, it was a comfort. There was a comfort to it that I didn't even understand it. I probably, it probably took me a good 10, 15 years to really really figure out what it was. Interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. real that's really really cool to hear because I think sometimes like uh new Christians at any age at any stage in life think that like becoming a Christian or understanding Christianity happens, you know, overnight. Yeah. And it it just that's maybe yeah. great for some people and not so for everybody. Yeah. And I think I had maybe the added advantage that because Aaron was a Marine, you know, we were PCSing every two, three years. So um, I wasn't church shopping per Mm -hmm. se, but we had to keep changing churches. So Mm -hmm. it gave me the ability to identify what I valued in a church, you know. So if it was a church that like the first church in San Jose, we couldn't really become involved because we lived too far away. So, you know, extracurricular thing after church, we just didn't, we weren't involved. So Mm I didn't have a real connection with that church. But then over the years, and then as you have a family as well, you know, they start Sunday school, you start to form connections. That's interesting. That's cool. So for those who are suspicious of church, yeah, don't feel like you have to just walk in and bam, there you go. It all makes sense. You have to keep going. Just keep going. Yeah. I think what you said about the the values of different churches and mm-hmm. different things at different times in your life that you enjoyed, uh, that you started to be able to pick up on. That's really cool. What were, what were some of those things you mentioned, you know, when you had kids Sunday mm-hmm. school, you mentioned extracurriculars, like mm-hmm. being close, not an hour and a half away. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I distinctly remember we were, um, we moved to, um, 
Jacksonville, North Carolina. There's not a lot to do out there. Um, and Ascension Lutheran Church, it was in a strip mall, had been for, I don't know, like 20 years before we even arrived. They'd been in the same place. It was a very small congregation, and we were only a 30-minute drive away from it. That's cool. And that was the first place that I started with, you know, really getting to know the people there. There were a lot of them fellow Marines or wives of fellow Marines. I formed my first close friendship with a very good friend, Bobby, had kids the same age. You know, we started to make those connections. And then so when we moved six years later, we moved to Ohio. I was able to use those skills, I guess, to start forming connections there and so forth. And we moved to Ascension Mm -hmm. in San Diego. Awesome church, made some awesome connections, was able to identify what I really loved about that church. And then so when we moved here and we found out that we were forming a new church, I wanted in on it because I wanted those elements to be at the way. Yeah. And they are. Cool. Yeah. So you you haven't lived in Virginia for much longer than when we started the way, right? We we were stationed here for a couple of years. Yeah, it'd be 2000, 2003, 2004, okay. I think. Okay. Before we continue on with the timeline, to backtrack, how old were you when you moved to the U.S.? I was 29. Mm-hmm. That's very fascinating to me. I'm just, <laughs> I'm I'm interested in how anybody expatriates and doesn't look back. Did you ever mm-hmm. have a moment where you realized I'm never going to live in my home country again? And w- what did that feel like for you? Absolutely. It was terrifying. It was the scariest thing I've ever done. Yeah. But you still did it? Mm-hmm. I still did it. That was trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of trust in Aaron. The actual physical move, the leaving my family, saying goodbye, Mm -hmm. and transitioning to the U.S. was probably the hardest part. Once I got here and established some routines, it wasn't too bad, but I did isolate myself for for probably the first couple of years, probably Mm -hmm. in Monterey. I didn't leave the house very much because (laughs) every time I did, no one could understand what I was saying, even though we both speak, both English-speaking countries. Driving was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. I still mm-hmm. occasionally drive on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> yes. Yeah, every once in a while, some words. Every once in a while. Yeah, you, you mean know, you get tired, you zone out, you're doing your thing, <laughs> and whoops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And once again, having a family, you know, kids force you out of your comfort zone into doing things you would probably not do on your own. So, yeah. Yeah. Makes you have to do that. Mm-hmm. I never thought about that as a way to kind of get more, I don't know, maybe have more of a piece of this culture that you didn't grow up with yeah. because your children were born here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I definitely have a a strong connection to the U.S. now sure. as well. And not to say that we won't ever move back to Australia. Mm-hmm. My mother always said, um, I think probably on our wedding day, you're not moving back here. You are going to have kids and you're not going to want to leave them. Yeah. And she's absolutely correct. I yeah. thought she was crazy back then. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't know anything. She knew, she knew more than I gave her credit for. Your mother... Got you to promise not to leave. You did. Mm-hmm. What was that like for your family? One of seven kids, sisters, mm-hmm. brothers all live back at home still. Mm-hmm. What uh, What was that like for them, you know, having one of their family leave? And how did they, how did they take that? Obviously, my mother did not take yeah. it well. Did not take it well. I mean, because literally she felt like Aaron was taking me yeah. away, like stealing me, basically. My dad, I mean, yeah, obviously he was sad to see me go, but I think he was more relieved. I mean, he trusted Aaron. He knew he'd take care of me. Yeah. And he wanted the best 
for me. So, yeah, I think he was happy for me. Cool. My siblings, I have no idea. They were probably glad to get me out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. Yeah. But, I mean, it's it's an amazing. With the technology the way it is these days, you know, Facebook messaging. I mean, we can still, yeah. we're still in touch. I haven't physically seen a lot of my siblings for maybe 15 years. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Probably close to, uh, maybe 13. Goose is 13 now. So, okay. Yeah. Well, Julie, you are, of all of my friends, I think one of the boldest and most open about your advocacy for people who are struggling with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. What uh, experience led you to just kind of be that that open and that that bold about it? Because I think it's a really, really good thing. We did a sermon mm-hmm. series, I think now a year ago, mm-hmm. that uh, tried to inform people people what God's word says about this and also destigmatize a lot of what people feel who are struggling with mental health issues. Uh, and I just remember talking to you about it during that and just the way you talk about it now, uh, the things you share uh, publicly, social mm-hmm. media about now. Um, yeah, you're a champion for that. Mm-hmm. And you do a fantastic job at that. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, um, but what's brought you to that? A lifetime of experience. Yeah, I Looking back even to my childhood, I highly suspect that my grandmother had some kind of, um, I don't know if it was bipolar. Mm. Um, I remember her um, smashing the glass out of doors, locking my siblings and I out of the house, calling us um, the devil's spawn, Mm. that kind of thing. She was some crazy stuff. My mother has suffered on and off from depression throughout my childhood. In fact, the first time she attempted suicide was when I was a newborn. Oh, wow. She was just so overwhelmed and tired yeah, um, and anxious. That, that was her first attempt. I think she's maybe attempted a half dozen times since then. Wow. And then as I got older, I started developing issues of my own. Sure. But it was always something to be ashamed of or, you know, to hide, to deal with in private. You didn't, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, about 18 months ago, um, you know, I went to my office to check my email one morning to find my uh, then 16-year-old daughter, Amy, had left me a suicide note. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd already left for school, so I had to call the school, get her put on lockdown, run in there, you know, and take her to the hospital, get her locked down. Yeah. You know, she she was strip searched. It was just horrible. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of then that I decided enough is enough. You know, I didn't know. She was depressed suicidal for two years and she didn't say a thing Mm -hmm. because you don't talk about it. You deal with it. No more. Yeah. Not, not my child, not my baby. Mm -hmm. -uh. We talk about it. Yeah. Um, And we now have where we have a solidarity. We have a Lotus necklace that we both wear, the Lotus symbol, very symbolic for us because, you know, the Lotus flower lives in the darkness, in the mud, but every day it struggles, finds the light every day. It rises above the darkness every day. So that's what we do. As you're going through that time, uh, how was being a part of a Christian community uh, a resource for you? It was a huge resource that I maybe didn't realize at the time. Um, I remember that first Sunday after Amy was hospitalized, she was still in the hospital and I was, you know, I was a hot mess. Emotionally, I was just terrified for her. Um, and I had a good friend, one of our congregant members, um, approach me, give me a big hug and tell me, you're not alone. People don't talk about this enough. I had a fellow Christian approach me 
when I was terrified, told me I'm not alone. So if you ever need to talk about this, if you ever need help, just call. I'm there. Um, And not to say that my um, non-Christian friends were not like that. They were awesome. They were a massive help. But there was just a huge comfort from my Christian friend. I don't even know how to explain it, but she got me through that day, that week. She kept checking in on me. Wow. I used to, you know, you're not calling me. Do you, yeah. need, do you need to talk? You're not calling. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. No, you're not. <laughs> talk to me. And yeah. Oh, wow. She really, yeah, it was huge. And it was then and there. And, and then gradually it wasn't just her. It was other members of the way that approached me and said, you know what? She's right. Such and such happened to me or to such a, such a person that I love and I never talked about it. Yeah. Well, we should. We should talk about it. We like to say that our church is a place for you and a place for you to find belonging. And mm-hmm. it's not something we say just for fun. It's something we it's, yeah that really happens. And when you say it's a support environment, it absolutely is. Not just from a spiritual sense, which absolutely it is. Yeah. But it's from from that emotional sense too. It's which just is huge. Absolutely as vital. Yes, yes absolutely. I'm praising God, first of all, for just uh, the faith and the strength that you have in talking about what is no doubt incredibly, incredibly challenging times and Mm -hmm. circumstances. And so you say that um, the experience that you went through 18 months ago, Mm -hmm. your family with Amy, that changed it for you as well. Because you just talk so frankly about what your experiences were like with your grandmother and mother going through it with as a as a child were you mm-hmm. were you aware of this is what it is this is what's happening or was it that much of a thing we don't talk about within the family yeah i mean i knew that um there was a, a suggestion from my mother's doctors that she was bipolar mm-hmm. um she denied it she refused to believe it but clearly there was something going on and even i mean as a child if your mother's trying to commit suicide mm-hmm you know there's something seriously wrong, but you grow up with it. You just learn to, you know, to live with it. It's just the way it is. I, I, do, I do remember never, ever wanting to be like my mother in that sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she was always on medication. She always struggling to get off of it. Mm-hmm. She hated being on it. Now I realize it's not, it's, it's a chemical imbalance. Mm-hmm. It's a biological thing. She's not crazy. Mm-hmm. It's just the way she was made. And if she needs to take medication, to control it, to have a good quality of life, then do it. Mm-hmm, right. I do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I struggled against it for years. It wasn't until I was almost 40 that I accepted that a doctor explained to me, it's a chemical imbalance. Yeah, You are not crazy. Yeah. Take the medicine. You would take the medicine if you had a heart condition. Mm-hmm. Right. Whatever. You would take the medicine. Take it. Yeah. And I haven't stopped since. Yeah. And yeah. That, was, that was big for you. Mm-hmm. And same for Amy. Yeah. Now that she's on the meds. She's doing great. Yeah. I just, I'm very thankful that you're sharing this with us because (laughs) I know that it's still stigmatized, even though, you know, we have mental health awareness month. We did a suicide prevention walk Mm -hmm. and yet it's still Mm -hmm. not talked about. Um, I'm wondering what kind of insight you could give to other parents or just loved ones who know that their loved one is struggling and whether or not it 
has a risk for suicide for that person? What? How can people approach this in a way that doesn't make someone feel like they are crazy or like they're missing something? Because as we know, that's that's not it. It's mm-hmm. medical, but it's still yeah. not viewed that way. It's so complicated. Yeah, I I would just say try and be open. Let your loved ones, your friends know that you know you're forgiving, you're empathetic, you understand that. Sometimes life sucks. It's not easy. Yeah. You just have to be open so that they know if they're struggling, they can come to you Mm -hmm. and talk about it, that you're not going to judge them for it. You know? Yeah. I think that's my biggest takeaway. Just don't keep it a secret. Be open about your own struggles so they can be open about theirs. Lead in opening. Right. Yeah. 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 It's not rocket science. I think it's just, yeah, just be open, be honest. Yeah, I think it's, well, you say it's not rocket science. At the very same time, I think it's incredibly courageous to do that because Mm. when the the very problem um, that you're dealing with may make you want to not be open and yet you realize, like sitting here talking about it, what's going to help me, what's going to help others is that I am open about this. Um, That's incredibly courageous. Was there anyone who... When you were discovering what you did about medicine, mm-hmm. at, you said when you were 40, mm-hmm. um, but obviously before you were 40, you knew that, you know, you had experience with this your whole life. Was mm-hmm. it yourself that kind of got you to seeking help for that? Or was it anybody else in your life that was encouraging you to do that? I don't even know if it was encouraging so much. I just got to that point where I was just not functioning. Mm-hmm. I was curled up on the couch sleeping. For most of the day, I got the kids to school, came home, went to sleep. Went to school, picked them up, came home, went to sleep. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't functioning. So it was at that point, for my sake and for my family's, I had to come to that realization myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was with the doctor's help that I was able to accept mm-hmm. what was before me and what I needed to do. And once I did that, we've been smooth sailing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Praise God for that. That does take a lot of courage. And also a lot of strength to get yourself to that point because I know for many people it's just so much easier unless unless you are not able to function or unless it's like prohibiting, you know, your daily life in some way. Mm-hmm. It's so easy for people to just keep it for years and just, yeah. you know. And it's often not it's a gradual it. thing, you know. Yeah. It's not a yeah, like curled up in the fetal position right. type situation all the time. Mm-hmm. It's 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 an ebb and flow. To it, yeah, education, learning to recognize the symptoms, you know, and being proactive about it. But I really think, yeah, it was probably God's plan for me all along to be able to do this. My experiences as a a child, the people I've met, you know, probably knowing that Amy was going to be in this situation, maybe it was God's way of me helping her Mm -hmm. to get through it. And she's now an advocate. Mm -hmm. She's helping friends get through it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just a really <laughs> cool picture of the way like God builds us into his his family. Yeah. Let me let me ask you about that. You have such a unique uh experience growing up um foreign country, distancing yourself from Christianity as much as possible, now being here in the country you call home now, mm-hmm. being a Christian, the experiences that uh, intersect with all of that and make you who you are uh, with your struggles with mental health. How do those combine to really just 
inform the way you share your faith now? Because you're a part of a church that really works hard to mm-hmm. share the love of Jesus Absolutely. with people who don't know what that's like in their life. Mm-hmm. And it's something we talk about a lot um, is sharing just the joy and the love and the purpose that Christ infuses your life with when mm-hmm. you know about all he's done for you. Yeah, how, how does your experience inform the way you share your faith? Um, experience, well, I think because, you know, I didn't grow up with Christianity theologically, biblically. I, I am never going to quote Bible passages. It's just, it's just not going to happen. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's shaped the way who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's specifically, you know, who I am at the way. It's just the way I am. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's that being as godlike as possible, you know, being forgiving, being empathetic, yes. kind, just the grace that God shows me, I want to show others. I think that has a very winsome effect. And I will maybe just speak personally for a second that I think that is you. Like you just intersect with that whenever I whenever I get to uh, interact with you. The very first time we met, Julie, I was going to church at our at our mother church at Trinity, mm-hmm. and you were too. And someone said, "Hey, there's a family I want to introduce you to," and I thought, "This is great. This is amazing." And I met you and you said, hi, my name's Julie. My family and I, we are so excited to join your church. We can't wait to join your church. And I'm like, man, this is like the greatest <laughs> thing ever. And what you don't know is the backside to that. That was probably after I had been doing the church planting thing for about three months. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to get to do this. I was super excited to get to do this. But after about three months, you realize, oh, it's oh, there's a lot. There's mm-hmm. a lot going on. And I was feeling maybe overwhelmed with it. Mm-hmm. And just to have that spark of someone else who is just really, really passionate about this is it, it meant a lot at the time. It means a lot then. <laughs> and I think maybe the lesson from that of everything is you never know who you're going to encourage mm-hmm. through just being yourself, through just mm-hmm. living the like love of Christ in you out to others. You never know who you're going to encourage. You never know who you're going to impact. It maybe even might just be your pastor. Yeah. No, that's actually really good to know because I still remember that day and I remember coming away from that thinking, he he must think I'm insane. No, that that was not not the reaction. Oh, that's reassuring. Yeah. yeah, Was that three years ago? That is. Yeah, I still remember thinking I was insane. No. (laughs) I often find your exuberance to be very refreshing. So I hope that you won't think that about other directions. (laughs) That's good because, yeah, yeah, it can be a little over the top. (laughs) So we've gotten to be uh, part of the same church now for three years. You and your family have been a huge part of what we're doing at the way. What has it meant for you guys just, yeah, finding a, a family, a place here at the way? It means everything. Yeah. It means that the way I want to be with others, I'm getting back as well. You know, it's a it's a it's a two way street. It's it's going someplace and knowing that I will be forgiven, that people would empathize with me, that people will love me as you know, as I wish to love them. You know, it's just a support. Yeah. It's a huge support. I just I love hearing your story because I mean, (laughs) I've known you for Two and a half years, two years, I guess. But I never would have known these things about how you grew up, especially in relation to your 
journey to Christianity and in the church. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that's really cool, and we don't get to talk about that enough. And Yeah, and I think that's why the way I treat my, like my neighbors, the people mm-hmm. I meet, you know, not people in the way, because they're already there, but, you know, I will not get in anyone's face about it. I'd rather just live as a Christian. Mm-hmm. You don't want to come? Cool, whatever. This is me. Mm-hmm. You know, like me, don't like me. But if you want to come, let me know. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to push anyone because not being pushed work for me. 